This is Deepa from DeepaBarrow.com, and you're listening to the Deep Beauty Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Deep Beauty Podcast. Guys, I know I said that every single episode is really special, but this one is really, truly special. You guys that have been following me for a while, you know that I went through alopecia about a year and a half ago where I lost about 70% of my hair in three months, and I was so super lost, and I had nowhere to turn to. And all I could see online that would help that was natural was the AIP diet, which I knew nothing about. AIP is the autoimmune paleo diet. So I did a bunch of research and I came across Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, who had written this book called The Paleo Approach. She has four books. And I downloaded it on my Kindle app on my phone that day when I found it and read it. So much scientific jargon in there. I did not care. I was like, I will get through this and I will understand it and started the diet, implemented it. And two months later, my hair started growing back and now it's pretty much all grown back in. And I have Dr. Sarah Ballantyne on the podcast with me today. Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, I have to say thank you so much for writing this book. Ah, well, I love hearing stories like yours. Like that's what keeps me going and keeps me motivated to keep, you know, creating resources for people and and just generally, you know, that's that's what I've committed my life to is um, I often say it's it's uh, creating the resources that would have changed my life if I'd had them 20 years ago. Um, then I probably wouldn't be doing this if <laughs> I hadn't been so sick 20 years ago. But, you know, if I can, um, if I can help people not have to hit the health lows that I had to hit in order to be able to find answers like that, that to me is is the, the biggest uh, most re- amazing, rewarding thing that I could possibly do. That well, that brings me to my first question: um, What led you to the paleo lifestyle? I was sick, um, so I, you know, I have this medical research background, and um, I, I studied really relevant topics in terms of understanding how food interacts with our bodies at the cellular molecular level. But I was studying those topics at a very like pharmaceutical development driven type level, which of course is so common for medical research, right? Medical mm-hmm. research is even basic science. You're understanding different biochemical pathways in order to understand how to manipulate them pharmaceutically. So that's, right. I mean, it's it's common. It's not like I was in the back pockets of the pharmaceutical industry. That's just the way medical research is driven these days. And um, I had never really translated this huge amount of information that I knew to practical, how can this help me get healthier until I hit these really big lows. And it, it started with, um, so I have four autoimmune diseases. Uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis is my primary autoimmune disease, but I also have fibromyalgia, uh, psoriasis and another skin condition called lichen planus. And, um, because of the Hashimoto's, I was morbidly obese. I was um, pre-diabetic. I had um, borderline high blood pressure. I, because of the fibro, I was in chronic pain. Um, oh I had all of these other things that were, you know, like the things that typically go with both of those, like uh, frequent migraines, um, depression. Uh, I had irritable bowel syndrome and asthma and allergies and like on top of the autoimmune skin conditions, I had eczema and terrible Oh my acne. gosh, you had everything. <laughs> and, um, and it was frustrating, right? Because um, it's just hard to go through life feeling terrible, but then also feeling like you are 
a visible demonstration of how you feel. And that's one of the things that that obesity and bad skin sort of have in common. And when my um, first daughter was one, I basically decided to uh, quit my job and um, just take a break from academia and medical research. And um, I'd like to say I completely focused on myself, but let's face it, I had a one-year-old, so I focused <laughs> on myself about 10% of the time. And um, but that that ten percent was imp- it was really important, and it allowed me to to figure out some of the stuff that was going on. I ended up losing a hundred pounds. Wow! With my second daughter. Oh my gosh! It's hard and- to imagine that you were ever obese. I mean, you look like the picture of perfect health now. Uh, thank you. Um, I actually had when I when I lost the weight, I I literally had a moment where I, my passport photo was like an old photo, and the like border security agent was doing the like look up, look down, look up, look down, look up, <laughs> look down, trying to figure out if that was the same person. Um, I think I carried carried a lot of weight in my face, which is one of the reasons why I look so different now compared to when I used to. But um, I had a much healthier second pregnancy. But like losing weight didn't solve my problems. And I think that was like the beginning of my health journey. I'd figured out how to lose weight and none of my autoimmune conditions improved. Like you wouldn't expect them to. Um, I regulated my blood sugar. So I, I resolved the prediabetes and my blood pressure uh, went back to normal. So, I mean, that was that, those were great markers of health improvement. But my skin was a mess. <laughs> my joints were so sore. I was having anxiety attacks. Um, and I had this, this like crisis of faith moment, uh, when my, um, second daughter was like one and a half and I was like, I, I did the thing. I did the thing that was supposed to make my life magic, sunshine and roses of lose the weight. Like, why is, why is life not perfect now? Like this is, this was the, the, the holy grail of every, every overweight person. If I'm going to lose the weight and like all of my problems will disappear. And I really, really did feel that. And I was in this super moment of frustration because I had my skin was a mess and you have the exact same emotional feelings of inadequacy and um, just uh, feeling like a failure it comes with you know bad skin as comes with obesity because it's this visual everyone can see or at least you feel like everyone can see that I'm failing at something right and um, and it was that that frustration and complete lack of feelings of self-worth that um, fortunately I channeled into, I have to find an answer. There's got, there's, there's gotta be an answer. And I honestly, I started on, you know, Dr. Google (laughs) and um, I was, my eczema was flaring at the time. And so I had heard somebody had mentioned, oh, yeah, eczema is from egg allergies. Like it was a offhanded comment that I'd heard. That's where I started. And I found this article on the paleo diet that uh, it, it, I had the exact same reaction that most people have when they read about the paleo diet. It was like, this sounds crazy and I'm never doing this. <laughs> I was like, this is why would I give up all of my favorite foods? That's yeah. crazy. Um, but the science, because of my medical research background and because I studied things like the immune system and inflammation and um, I, I studied the cells that form the gut barrier and like I all of that science is used to explain paleo. And so because I, 
that he just it was just enough. It was just enough to like, okay, but I'll I'll read a little bit more about this and I'll read a little bit more about this. And I ended up taking three months reading everything I could, finding scientific articles, um, finding articles of the the few paleo bloggers at the time who were writing from a more science-based perspective and then looking at their citations and going and reading the papers that they were citing. And I eventually talked myself into trying this, this crazy thing that I said I would never do. And I did. And I sort of like ripped off the bandaid and I started August 31st, 2011. Mm-hmm. And within two weeks, I was able to go off six prescription medications, one of which I'd been on wow. for 12 years. Oh my gosh. I, kept losing weight like weight I I had thought that this was the most weight I, my weight had been steady for for quite a while I lost 20 pounds in about two months when I first went paleo oh my god that I thought I was resistant to that weight loss I've never had a migraine since um my irritable bowel syndrome completely resolved uh, I was able to go off all medications for asthma the only time since that I've had any kind of asthmatic symptoms is when I've had pneumonia and then it's been, you know, a few weeks afterwards, and then it resolves again. Um, all of my weird allergies, I used to break out into a rash when I touched cardboard, which I know is like I've super awesome. That. <laughs> um, well, so here's the thing. The world is really full of cardboard. It's it's kind of a common, <laughs> you know, material. It's kind of hard to avoid. Yeah. So it's a really inconvenient topical allergy. Um, but that went away. Um, my moods got better. My joint pain started to go away. Like it was, it really was, my skin started to clear up. Like it really was miraculous. And within a couple of weeks, I became this like crazy zealot, like, like, like inappropriate (laughs) zealot. Like I was getting my haircut and I was like telling the woman how the the bagel she ate for breakfast was going to kill her. Like just (laughs) not, not okay. Just not, not, not all right. (laughs) Um, but it it was what led me to start a website and it was the audience that I built up so quickly with my website that led to the opportunity to write books and podcasting and all of these other great projects that I've been able to be involved in. And so it really was, you know, it was, um, I happened to have this medical research background that was super handy. Um, I happen to have a longstanding passion for scientific literacy, which has also been super handy. Um, but it was, it was health lows. It was, it was hitting this, you know, this, this point of, of just desperation for solutions that brought me to paleo. And then once I was, you know, once I had drunk the paleo Kool-Aid and I I did tone down my enthusiasm, like eventually over time (laughs) and became a much more sensible human being who can have a normal conversation with people, which is great. Um, but well, I, I think it's normal. Whenever you find you discover something new, you want to share it with the world, right? That's just I that's been, natural. I had been so sick, so to find like uh, you know, and I had been on so many different drugs for so many of my conditions, and then find oh, all I had to do was change what I was eating, and that was it. That is I could so have done crazy. Years ago. Oh my gosh. Um, but I, I mean, I kept digging and I kept refining, and that's what led me eventually to the autoimmune protocol, and it was that was a fairly poorly defined thing when I started learning about it. So it was something that I ended up, um, I ended up writing a lot about the science and researching a lot of the science behind it and expanding on a lot of the principles in the autoimmune protocol. And that's, it became a a key feature of articles on my website and the topic of my first three books. Um, So I, you know, I was able to take the principles of the paleo template and, because of my science background, really being able to understand the whys meant that 
I could understand the refinement and the, the refinement is what the autoimmune protocol is. It's, it's taking the ideas behind paleo and not, not the, I eat like a caveman ideas, but like the, Oh, this compound in this food causes this biochemical change right. in this type of cell. That's a problem. Those well, principles. Well, yeah, th- I mean that, that I think is what really resonated with me. Um, I, I, you know, when I was younger, you know, I was kind of, I was a bit of a science nerd and so when I read the book uh, and actually read the actual principles behind why you were saying what you were saying and why this diet was going to help, it really, it really resonated because, you know, within this internet age, you know, that you've got how many people are writing posts on, well, you know, you should eat this and you shouldn't eat that and blah, blah. Approximately 1.5 million. <laughs> exactly. And then, then and it's just because they read it off of somebody else's website who read it off of somebody else's website, but there's no scientific support behind it. So when I read your book and I saw the actual support, I was, it made it so clear to me and it made me feel so much more comfortable because I don't know if uh, many of the uh, listeners know, but I was a vegetarian for 20 years. And I mean, I started eating meat maybe a year before I went on this diet. But had I, you know, not been like, you know, a vegetarian before, I probably wouldn't have really, I probably wouldn't have taken it so much to heart. Because like, Mm -hmm. you know, I was a vegetarian because, you know, I felt like, you know, I didn't want to eat the animals and all that kind of stuff. But like when I read the actual reasoning behind why certain meats were really good for you and what they actually chemically did in your body, it hit me a little bit harder than I think it would be for somebody who just like ate meat their whole entire life. And that's how I am too. I am a person who needs to understand um, the whys behind something in order to be motivated to make the harder choice. Right. And I know I'm not, I mean, my family's full of, I mean, my family's full of science nerds. Like, let's face it, like Star Wars and like Lord of the Rings is a big thing in my family. Hey, I love both of those. <laughs> but, but, um, but I, um, I have a lot of family members who are the same, right? They were yeah. motivated by information. And one of the things that I think has happened over the last like 40, 50 years of dietary recommendations is like every time a new dietary guideline comes out, it becomes more and more distilled into like, what's the infographic, right? Like it's, it's like what, here's your three rules and your infographic. And it, it's, it's like telling somebody uh, to go the speed limit, but not explain why going over the speed limit could be potentially dangerous, right? right? Well, like this road has these kinds of bends. And if you go too fast, like there's gravel on the side and you might like having an understanding of like why a road might have a speed limit it has, we might not exactly follow the speed limit, but we're going to be much closer to the speed limit than maybe what we would normally think to drive down that road because we're late for a whatever. And so I think explaining diet in that same way, you know, here's, here's why this is a good thing to eat and why this is not a good thing to eat. And then you let that person then take that information and make the best choices for themselves and figure out how to adapt that to fit their lives. And I'm not a super like dogmatic person when it comes to paleo. Like I think the autoimmune protocol has a uh, stricter set of rules, but because you're talking about a group of people with overactive immune systems that have lost the ability to differentiate tissues in our body from a bacteria or a virus, so they're attacking our own tissues, mm-hmm. it's sort of a situation that demands a little bit more rigor in terms of a dietary and lifestyle template. 
But for the population as a whole, I feel like, you know, I can explain why nutrient density is a really important concept for food choices. And I can explain why these foods don't really have a lot to offer our body. I can also explain why these same foods that don't have a lot to offer us can also be inflammatory and why inflammation isn't good. And then I can let you make, you know, hopefully make better choices most of the time. But that doesn't mean we have to be perfect in order to get benefits from really understanding the science behind better food choices. Right. And, you know, I have a lot of people that um, write into me uh, because I have done this diet. And I think that um, they they don't understand that it's not something that you're supposed to stick to long term. Can you sort of Correct. expand on that and explain why we're not supposed to stick to it long term? So the autoimmune protocol really is set up as an elimination diet. And where most people are sort of familiar with the idea of an elimination diet is something that an allergist might do to hone in on allergies. So skin prick tests can only get you so far. Still with an allergist, the gold standard is to do an elimination diet where you cut out the suspect foods. And sometimes an allergist will take you down to like four foods and start adding things back in one at a time um, until you have a reaction to something. And then, aha, you know, that's a, a problem. The autoimmune protocol is a more sophisticated version of an elimination diet because it's really trying to understand or the metric is, uh, does this food have nutrients that the immune system needs to regulate itself and operate normally? Yes or no. And then does this food have compounds that might interfere with the immune system, that might interfere with gut health, that might interfere with hormone health, and then basically overall undermine our efforts to help our immune system regulate. And it is a, a template that involves focus on lifestyle as well. So it involves a focus on getting enough sleep, on being active but avoiding overtraining, on managing stress, on connection and community. So those things are also really important inputs to health that are, are wrapped up in this template. Um, but the idea is to, to follow this sophisticated elimination diet. You're eliminating the most likely culprits behind immune overactivation while flooding the body with nutrients and through the lifestyle choices, giving the body the opportunity to heal. But then as we heal, you know, nutrient diversity is a really, really important concept for lifelong health. So that means getting the full complement of non-essential and essential nutrients. And so there's some foods that are eliminated because there's a high likelihood of you know, being problematic for people with autoimmune disease, but that have some nutritive value. So when you start hitting, you know, a something that's sustainable for lifelong health, being able to reintroduce those foods becomes very valuable because they offer valuable nutrients. So what happens is with the autoimmune protocol is the recommendation is to follow what's called the elimination phase, or sometimes it's just called strict AIP, mm-hmm. until you start seeing resolution of your symptoms. Right. Um, and the reason for that is you want to start feeling better to be able to identify if a reintroduced food makes you feel worse. And right. that can take a different amount of time for different people. So it can be anywhere between a couple of weeks and it can be months for others. And it, it really depends on your genetics and how long you've had your disease. But then you start methodically reintroducing foods, starting with, there's two ways to go about it. I generally recommend starting with uh, quality of life foods. So things that you've eliminated, that if you could just have that one thing back in your life, like everything would be okay, those right. foods. Um, they <laughs> usually, <laughs> yeah, it was for me, it was coffee, you know, like, and they, those foods usually align fairly well with foods 
that the nutritive value is still fairly compelling. So like eggs from pastured hens have great nutrition, um, you know, butter or ghee from, from grass fed cows has, has great nutrition. Nuts and seeds have great nutrition. And these are eliminated on the autoimmune protocol for a variety of reasons. Right. So reintroducing those, like it, it's, it's a, it's how you get to a sustainable point. So the, the idea is, um, you know, the autoimmune protocol and, and paleo in general, they're not diets that you go on to like lose 10 pounds for a wedding. They are diets that are designed to uh, provide optimal health for the rest of your life and hopefully extend your lifespan as well. And to do that, you have to be able to follow it for the rest of your life. It's not about short-term goals. It's about health for, for our entire lives. And so because of that, it's it's much more of a lifestyle than a diet, right? It's, it's a, a way of eating, a way of choosing foods, a way of living our lives. And in order to find that sustainability, you know, so I'm looking at, well, this is a way that I want to eat. Hopefully I'll live another 60 years. So, you know, it's a way I've got to be able to eat for 60 years. So I have to find my own give and take. And part of being able to, to hone that in is really experimenting on myself and having a really good sense of what are my uh, never foods because they make me so ill. What are my sometimes foods? Because as long as I don't have them every day, it's fine. What are my daily foods that help support my health? And, you know, being able to, to walk those lines in, in between um, in order to enjoy the most diversity of foods, the best flavors, right? Still be able to have cake on my birthday and and yet maintain a clean enough diet that I'm maintaining my health. Right. So okay, I have my my final question here is cuz we both know how hard it is to to be on this sort of diet. Do you have any tips for people that are going through autoimmune issues that want to try this diet just to survive, you know, that initial phase? Yeah, so you know, my number one tip is to um, prioritize sleep. You know, it's kind of a strange tip because you're like, the diet's so hard. Why is working on sleep going to help? And it's um, for a few reasons. One is sleep is an absolutely profound regulator of the immune system. So there's aspects of the immune system that really only work while we're asleep. And those happen to be the aspects of the immune system that are underactive in autoimmune disease. So if we can sleep more, we can help regulate our immune systems better. So we can have faster resolution of symptoms if we're getting enough sleep. And that's usually eight to 11 hours a night, depending on the person with autoimmune disease. And, and eight's kind of a, it's, there's not that many people. It's, it's often more like nine for, for this particular group of people. Um, that was a hard also, one for me to wrap my head around because I come from like an entrepreneurial background where, you know, you don't mm-hmm. need to sleep more than five, six hours because you need to get up and you need to get back to work. Sleep, sleep is for the week and I'll <laughs> sleep when I'm dead. And we've got exactly. all of these crazy but so here's here's the, the next part. Sleeping regulates a whole pile of hormones that are immune regulators themselves. So, for example, if you have a night of lost sleep, that is causes more insulin resistance than six months of terrible diet. Mm, wow. So, like, it's it's immediate insulin resistance from just having a night where you don't sleep well. Um, but it also sleep regulates uh, stress hormones. It regulates leptin, insulin. It regulates sex hormones. It regulates thyroid hormones. Like it's, it's really important for, for our hormone health. It's really important for our gut health. It's really important for our immune health. It's really important for our mental health. So we're typically far more 
productive. We have better memories. We think through problems more um, logically and easily when we're rested. And so it actually increases productivity and increases uh, athletic performance and it regulates wow. hunger and it regulates food cravings. So that's where it's so important for figuring out the diet aspect because if you can make these dietary changes and not have to deal with uh, a, you know, hunger, you know, response that's way too high. Like I'm hungry all the time and I can only eat these foods. It becomes so frustrating. Mm -hmm. If you can work on the diet without sh crazy sugar cravings or, you know, sugar, salt, fat cravings, like if you, if you can just take that part out of the equation, then working on the diet becomes so much easier. And that's why I recommend make sure at least that you're getting eight hours sleep as a minimum here, because, it's going to make changing your diet easier. And we've got studies that show if someone gets enough sleep, they naturally choose more fruits and vegetables. Really? They naturally don't gravitate towards junk food or fast food. They naturally will eat a more appropriate caloric intake. If you get enough sleep, you actually will buy fewer calories in the grocery store. Wow. Wow. So it's very much about making the harder food choices feel easier because we're not dealing with this extra factor of of being you know tired and how that impacts our relationship with food that is so crazy i had no idea at all this is a it's a hard sell too <laughs> get enough sleep you'd expect most of us were like oh i get to sleep as much as i want great <laughs> but no it's 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 hard because that time has to come from somewhere and we're so used to taking on way too much to find an extra hour or two for sleep can be a really big challenge but it is totally worthwhile. Oh yeah, big time, definitely. I especially in this day and age. Okay, any and any last tip that you want to leave with people? Um I think, you know, the the autoimmune protocol is very rigorously supported by science. We now have clinical trials in inflammatory bowel disease showing an incredibly high success rate at putting inflammatory bowel disease into remission in a very, very short period of time with the autoimmune protocol. Um but it it does involve like there's there's a learning process. And it's not just like learning what to eat and what not to eat. It's also learning how to fit that into our lives. So learning what am I going to cook when I get home at 8 p.m. because that meeting ran late and I'm super, super hungry and I don't have any time. Or what am I going to cook? What am I going to have for breakfast when I sleep in? Or what am I going to make the kids that I'm also going to be able to eat but that I want them to like? We all have these sort of different challenges to fitting this into our lives. And so just to remember that it's okay if it's there's a learning curve. Like there's definitely a learning curve and it that's that's normal when we leave the house for the first time and are on our own and have to figure out how to cook food and buy groceries on, our, on you know in our budget and all of those things. We we did all this learning and so it's going to be faster the second time because we've done it before. Mm -hmm. But we do kind of have to go a little bit back to that initial like now how do I how do I cook this new food that I've never cooked before? Where do I buy this strange ingredient that I'm not familiar with? And how do I, you know, how do how do I make this efficient and easy in my life? And it it's there's solutions to all of those challenges. Um, so it takes a little bit of dedication in the beginning. So go into it knowing that there's a learning curve, knowing that challenges are going to crop up that you weren't anticipating that you're going to need to troubleshoot in terms of the practical day-to-day -day implementation and just allow yourself to get through that period to the other side where 
this is just how I eat and it's fine. And there is that other side. So, so know that it, you know, it, it is, uh, it does require some commitment at the beginning to be able to get through that adjustment. And then after that, it's smooth sailing. That's great advice. That's, you know, just, we all need to be a little bit more lenient on ourselves and, you know, understanding and compassionate rather than, you know, expecting perfection. Definitely. So thank you so much, Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, for being on the podcast. Guys, if you want to check out her stuff, go to thepaleomom.com. I'm going to have links to all her books and everything on the blog post for this episode. This was so incredibly informative. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again for having me.